0: Sportsnet 960,
1: the fan, but we're back with you. It's hockey central Haley Salvian and with Logan Gordon. I love that Julian was, was doing that. Well, we'll have to, we'll have to bring that up next week. Hopefully we can have him on as kind of a, a weekly guest on hockey central, our new athletic beat writer in Calgary. So let's get into the game a little bit more though, Logan. I mean, they beat the Colorado avalanche five to three in their season opener. Um, you know, Mackenzie Weger had a great game. He scores, or he gets two assists in that one. Um, Brett Ritchie opens the scoring. It's the first goal of the Flames' season, as everybody expected. Dylan Dubé scores a shorthanded goal, which is actually since Julian was was doing the parade around thing, I will. Toot my horn here for talking about how good Dylan Dube and Andrew Mangipani were together, shorthanded last season. He gets a shorthanded goal with Andrew Mangipani beside him on that rush. Rasmus Anderson scores his first of the season. Tyler Tofoli on the power play. Elias Lindholm on the power play. That Huberto assist on Lindholm's first of the season was so impressive. And it took, like, you knew it was nice when you saw it the first time, but I think it took a second watch. To really appreciate the speed in which things are happening around Huberto and the patience he had to hold on to the puck, hold on to the puck, wait for guys to collapse until the last second and then have Lynn home wide open right on the doorstep. Like how many players force a pass into the slot that's not there and get that picked off or how many players just stuff that puck right into the goalie's pads or, or right into their blocker, or their glove, like the patience to pull off that play was incredible. It was so impressive, and and I think that was there was a lot of good that happened in that game, but that one for me was like, oof, how many times are we going to see this happen this season?
0: Yeah, I think it was nice for Flames fans because I think at 5-on-5, five five, that line maybe wasn't as impressive as the Kadri-Dube-Manjapani line, but on the power mm-hmm. play, especially to start the third period, you started to see, okay, this is some of the things that these guys can do, and I mean, Jonathan's just... He's so incredibly talented, Haley. and I like the way that you broke it down because watching it in person from the press box last night, it just seems like a bang bang play, but it's not like that it's It's four or five seconds that you really can't process from that high and that far away, even if you were up close a defenseman flying around you, you're right. I think most guys probably just try to put the puck on net, but he has the the wherewithal around him, the sense to just take an extra second, find the guy, and it's an easy finish for Elias Lindholm. I think Flames fans have got to be extremely excited that the guy with that kind of talent is around and running things on the power play. I think it was just one of those signs of things to come for Jonathan Huberto.
1: Absolutely, and it might not be, you know, we maybe didn't see that, as you mentioned, at five-on-five five yet, but but let's talk a little bit about that um, dube manchiapani Cadre line. What what did you like out of them, Logan?
0: Honestly, I liked a little bit of everything last night. They were kind of the line that made the biggest impact, I thought. I was talking to Pat in the second intermission uh, last night, and we were kind of just going through it. And I just said, that's kind of what that line needs to be. They're going to be hard on the forecheck. They're going to pressure the defense into making those mistakes. It happened a couple of times, led to some chances. And that's really important when you're talking about the work ethic that Daryl Sutter demands from his team. You saw the value that Nazem Kadri brings not only in the faceoff dot but his sort of net front presence a couple of times was certainly noticed by his former team. It also led Eric Johnson into taking that penalty late in the second period that wound up, you know, leading to a goal to start the third for the Calgary Flames. It was just a I think a near perfect start for that line and it answered a lot of questions about Okay, can Dylan Dubé play with these guys? Is he going to be a candidate for that breakout season that we've sort of talked about? And I just, I really thought going up against the McKinnon line last night for the majority of their time, I thought you had to be really happy if you were Daryl Sutter with what they gave you.
1: Absolutely, and I think this was something we we discussed, and, and we can get into it a little bit more too. But what I really like about that trio of players. And is that they're they're skilled in the offensive zone, but they can also be really good on the forecheck and they're smart defensively and they have the speed to transition from defense to offense and not just make that transition and get into the offensive zone, but they have the ability and the skill set to finish off those plays. I think sometimes when you're talking about really good suffocating checking lines, you get that really good defensive play, you get that pressure, you get the movement into the Ozone. But sometimes with those kind of players, the offense is limited. Uh you think of somebody like Zach Aston Reese, who who talks about, you know, his goal scoring. It's not where he wants it to be, or or you look at guys, you know, Evan Roger Evan Rodriguez, excuse me, isn't a great example because he he had a bit of a breakout season last year, but you've got some of those guys. I'm, I'm thinking of the Pittsburgh Penguins, I guess, right now. But you have some of those guys who've always been really good two-way defensive forwards, and sometimes they can lack when it comes to the finish. And I think with the trio of Dube, Mangipani, and Kadri, they've kind of got that mix of everything. They can be really good in the D zone. They can be good in the O zone. They can finish. They're not going to you know they're maybe not going to make the turnover that loses you the game. Um, they've kind of got everything there. It's really early. It's it's been one game. I don't want to, I don't want to make these crazy takes here. But I really liked what I saw from that line too. Uh, the the Trevor Lewis Michael Backlund Blake Coleman line. You know they were they were pretty good last night too at five on five. Their shot share was pretty good. Um, you know they were on the they were on the ice for a goal against, which you don't love. But it was against the Colorado Avalanche. Um, but they that that line seems interesting. I think that's where you have this this trick where, you know, you're missing that top nine winger, that you have to put Trevor Lewis up into that space instead of on the third line. So I think that's probably the one hole that you're looking at of like, okay, who can we get to play that role? But it's one game; they won. I don't really want to get into the. Nitpicky of the Calgary Flames roster. I think everyone's feeling good today after after that game, so we can table that for for another time.
0: Yeah, I, I think it's a good point. I think it's one that we kind of talked about after training camp. Was okay if you're going to move Dylan Dubé up the lineup, it probably leaves you with. I don't even want to say a less than ideal because I'm actually a big Trevor Lewis guy. I think he does a lot of the the right. Oh, so am I. I
1: will defend him. (laughs)
0: Yeah, we we stand (laughs) Trevor Lewis here. Um, But it's funny because he's on the line with a guy that that I've been a big proponent of. He got a lot of criticism in his first year in Calgary, which I, I didn't really find appropriate, but it was just or accurate. It was Blake Coleman, and that guy to me is just one of the smartest hockey players I've ever seen, pairing him with Backlund. Uh, obviously, I think Trevor Lewis can match what those guys do defensively in a heartbeat, and Mm -hmm. not to mention that they all work together pretty well on the penalty kill, too. I I think for now, at least, maybe you're not going to see the offensive push from that line that you would like, Haley, but in a pinch, if that line got stuck out there last Mm -hmm. night against McKinnon or they happen to get stuck Mm -hmm. out against McDavid on Saturday night, I don't think it's the worst thing for your team. I think you're still Mm -hmm. looking at a line that's going to remain if not above, uh, you know, right at water level, above water level, when it comes to their five-on-five five play, and I think that's still really important when you're trying to roll lines like Daryl Sutter does.
1: Absolutely, and that's the uh, the one thing that we hear from Daryl Sutter a lot too. And he'll, you know, he will say that to media all the time. It's not always about goal scoring. So sure, I can say, yeah, maybe they have a hole in that wing spot. And again, I, I like what Trevor Lewis brings to the table. I think he is you know, a good piece of this Flames roster. I mean, he's he's cheap, he's effective, he can PK, he's he's reliable at five on five. I mean, he scored a couple big goals in the playoffs last year too, when some of the offense dried up. So that's not to, to be overly critical about what Trevor Lewis brings to the table. But as Daryl Sutter says a lot, it's not all about goals. Sure, you need offense, you need goal scoring, but you also need lines and guys on your team who can be good defensively and Who can back check? Who can throw hits? Who can bring different things to the table? And I think you've got a line that that does that in the third, in the third line in Calgary. Um, You mentioned rolling lines. When you look at the five on five time on ice last night, everything looks pretty even. Uh, The Huberto Lindholm to Foley line played eight fifty four at five on five. That Cadre line played eight fifty two. The fourth line played eight twenty two. And that third line with Coleman Backlund and Lewis played 742. So everyone's pretty close, you know, just over a minute between each line playing with each other. So, and and that's against the defending Stanley cup champion. So I think if the flames are going to be in a position this season where they can roll four lines and three D pairs and and have two good goaltenders, they're going to be in a good spot.
0: Yeah. It was interesting to see the the fourth line. Obviously they got that goal to start things off. It was a great rush by Mackenzie Wieger that, led to that Brett Ritchie goal to start things off for the Calgary Flames. But uh, you know what? Pat's been big on, on Kevin Rooney all preseason long, and I think last night was a good example for Flames fans as to the kind of two-way player that he is and why the Flames valued him so much, even in a fourth-line role going back to the start of free agency. And honestly, if that's the kind of effort that you're going to get from your fourth line most nights, Hales, I think you're going to be pretty happy a... Now, obviously, being at home and getting to work, the the matchups with last change is always important to that, and for it's sure. n- not quite as easy on the road when people will try to take advantage of it. But, you know, for night one, for them to actually finish like you said with more five on five time on ice than the third line, who we just talked about as having all this trust in all situations in the game, that's pretty good for this team. And I think Daryl Sutter is a guy that values being able to not lean on one line specifically or one D pairing specifically. If he could even out his playing time between all four lines and all three D pairings, I'm pretty sure he would. It's just the game script and the way things go. Don't always work that way for night one. You're right against Colorado. I I think all things considered, you're going to walk away with that pretty happy.
1: I'll admit I was pretty critical of the Kevin Rooney signing. I think at the time I just, I didn't understand why the team signed a player who's never made more than $8,000 on an NHL deal or played a full 82-game season before, was signed to a two-year $1.3 million deal. I will say, like, I'm, I'm sure he's someone who's going to benefit for playing for Daryl Sutter. He's going to be given a role. He's going to be good in it. Um, I just questioned at the time, you know, $1.3 million for a depth player, again, who's never had a full NHL season or made more than a round league minimum. Didn't really get it. Didn't love it, but I will be happy to be proven wrong because it was a good debut for Kevin Rooney. And I'm sure everybody wants to listen to Pat on that one. So I would never, I would never go against what Pat Steinberg, host of Flames Talk has to say. Um, So the Calgary Flames can be playing against the Edmonton Oilers first battle of Alberta the season on Saturday. How are you feeling? Send us a, a text on 96960. If you're excited for the first battle of Alberta, there's not gonna be enough of them this year. The, the league needs to find a middle ground between having like the 10 that they did in the bubble and having like three Battle of Albertas. We we need a sweet spot. Let us know. How many do you want? But Logan, what do you what are you expecting? Calgary, Edmonton, first face off of the season coming up on
0: Saturday. I'm really excited for Saturday. I think this is going to be, first of all, I'm I'm with you. It's incredibly disappointing that we only get three of these coming off of the first playoff series between these two in a very long time. But I I think there's a lot to this. The Oilers will be feeling good after that night one win against Vancouver for them. Calgary's obviously going to have the revenge narrative and are going to try to push to – you know say hey look we're we're better equipped to to play you guys now with our new stars and they'll want to make an impression but uh, this is an interesting one because i think the flames we talked about this earlier in the week have two pretty big tests all all things considered to start the year colorado last night and then edmonton uh on saturday those are two teams that i would expect are still going to be in the consideration for playoff spots and are going to have to be a team that you want to beat down the stretch so for the Flames to potentially start the year off with a win against Colorado and then one against Edmonton, I think would be huge for the confidence of this group.
1: Absolutely, we just got we just got a text in on the on the line here nine sixty nine sixty should be minimum five games. Yeah, I don't get the, the Edmonton three. Oilers and that Doesn't Flames. make
0: any sense to me.
1: Having five or having, no, having less than three? Five? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's not enough. Tens too much. I think it gets watered down when, when they had the North Division and they played against each other ten times. It yeah. was, by the end, you're like, oh, God, another, another <laughs> Oilers game. Yeah. But having three and you've got to wait until, what, the second round of the playoffs probably to see them again, it's not enough.
0: No, especially when it ends me. in, like, December. Like, wouldn't you want to have, I don't know, early April Battle of Alberta on a Saturday night? To me, that seems like a a match made in heaven. I mean, hey, maybe maybe it makes us grow fonder for a playoff series if they see each other again, but I don't know. Three just doesn't seem like enough to me. I I know they play against, you know, every team in the league and they got to fit those in, but I think you can definitely squeeze more than three Battle of Alberta's in.
1: Absolutely. Another text on the line, again, if you want to chat with us, it's Hockey Central, Haley Salvian, Logan Gordon with you. Uh, One response, and again, sorry, that's 960-960. One response is, what bothers me about the Battle of Alberta is the Flames are by far the better team, but having McDavid makes them the favorite every time. Very frustrating as a Flames fan. I've got to agree. I mean, I won't say it's frustrating as a fan because I'm I'm not in that space, but I've got to say I agree when it comes to that kind of analysis, and I found myself doing that a lot last season in the playoffs and even some of the uh, preseason prognostications is I think the Flames are better on paper. I like the Flames' lines top to bottom. I like their defense better top to bottom. I like the goaltending better. I think Markstrom is better than Jack Campbell. I like the backup situation. I I think the Flames have more depth. I like them on paper much better. Um, You know, I was asked in, in a preseason segment on Sportsnet about who's the best team in Alberta. And I said, I think it's Calgary. However, the Flames need to prove that they can be better than Edmonton when it matters because they only beat them once in that series in the second round. And we all know how that went. It went pretty sideways for the Flames and, and the Oilers and McDavid, um, Dreisaitl, who was on one leg, basically, Evander Kane. They were too much to handle. Um, and so I, I can understand the frustration knowing that, yeah, you've got, you've got a better roster, but they've got the ultimate trump card that is Cotter McDavid and and also Leon Draisaitl, probably two of the top five players in the league. So I do think the Flames are probably better suited this year to go up against the, the talent that the Oilers have mm-hmm. because they have a second line that can handle it, um, and they've got a third line that can handle it. As we mentioned, I think the middle six – would be good at playing against the McDavid line. Um, and, and of course, Elias Lindholm, who's a Selke finalist, he can handle going up against McDavid or Dreisaitl. And I think, you know, if the Flames are in a situation playing against the Oilers where you they're loading up with McDavid, Dreisaitl, and Kane on the top line or they're splitting up McDavid and Dreisaitl on two lines, I think the Flames have the kind of center depth to better match up with them. Um you know, I'm not saying that <laughs> Lindholm and Kadri are better than Dreisaitl and McDavid. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think they've got three centers who will be able to kind of handle the defensive matchups against players like that.
0: Yeah, when I look at it, to me, it's really about... I don't think you're ever going to really fully stop Connor McDavid. He's just that type of talent. But mm-hmm. for me, it's kind of limiting those great game-breaking moments as best that you can and limiting him... Uh, special teams wise, I think is incredibly important. I really don't care how good the penalty killing is. I think the flames even going back to last year under Daryl Sutter had one of the best penalty kills in the league. It just doesn't matter. You give that guy that extra space and you're asking for problems. So I think a keeping him off of special teams is incredibly important, but b just sort of limiting the, the chances he gets per game. If you can keep it to, you know, I don't know what, what's an acceptable number here. Three, Maybe high danger chances per game. I I think you like those odds if you're the Calgary Flames. And you're right. When the Oilers have gotten behind things, Jay Woodcroft and a lot of Oilers coaches go to move has been putting dry sidle with McDavid and loading up that line. Well, in theory, that opens up two lines where I like the depth considerably better for the Calgary Flames. If Nazem Kadri is going up against the Oilers third center I would say the Flames should do pretty well in that scenario. It doesn't always work out that way, and it's easier said than done, as many teams have learned, Haley And you, you watch Connor McDavid, and you sit there and think, oh, it's if it was only that easy to limit him to three chances a game, then uh, mm-hmm. we should be doing pretty good. But I think the approach that the Flames are taking to it, having multiple options uh, that are going to make it more difficult for him on a shift-by-shift basis, I, I really do think that's the best way to go about it.
1: Yeah, and, and I should say, you know, because of the McDavid and sidle effect, I mean, their forward group is just better than the Flames because of that <laughs> top heaviness, and you've got Kane, um, et cetera, on that roster. But I think I look at the teams top to bottom, and I do like Calgary's better. But we'll see how that gets put into practice in the game on Saturday. Let's move on to some of the games that did happen on Thursday night before we talk to Sean Gentilly later in the show. We'll talk about uh, some of the games that are coming up later tonight on Friday. For example, there is a Battle of Ontario happening. Toronto Maple Leafs versus the Ottawa Senators. Brent Burns is playing against the San Jose Sharks for the first time on Friday night as a member of the Carolina Hurricanes. So there's a couple of things to look Ahead to, but let's finish talking about some of these games that happened last night, Logan. I wanted to start with Pittsburgh, Arizona, Penguins win six to two. Story of their opener was kind of all about the big three for the Pittsburgh Penguins. It's their seventeenth season now as teammates: Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, and Chris Letang. It's wild, right? Seventeen, and Sidney Crosby's had his eighteenth with the Penguins. For context, Mario Lemieux played seventeen. So by the end of this season, Crosby will have passed Lemieux when we're talking about longevity and, and time spent with the Pittsburgh Penguins organization as a player. It's it's wild to think that they've been around this long. And there's one stat that the Penguins PR staff posted the other day. So Crosby, Malkin, and Latang will now tie the Yankees' Derek Jeter, um, so Jeter, Posada, and Rivera as the longest tenured trio of teammates in the NHL, MLB, NFL, in NBA.
0: <laughs> that's that's actually insane.
1: It's wild, right? It's it's really impressive. I mean, there's a reason this doesn't happen often, right? There's so many different factors. You need three elite teammates. You need them all coming in at the same time and, and having longevity and avoiding serious injury and wanting to stay in Pittsburgh and an organization that's willing to keep them in Pittsburgh. I mean, so many things need to align for that to happen. And the penguins have done it. And I think they had a really good season opener. Yes. It was against the Arizona coyotes who are not good. Um, but there's some good takeaways you can make from, from Pittsburgh. I thought their top line looked really good. Ricard Raquel. He, he had a short stint with Crosby and Jake Gensel post deadline last season before he got hurt. I liked his game. He's gonna, he's gonna fit in just fine there. And Another fun stat, actually, for the first time in his now 18-year career at the Penguins, Crosby scored the team's opening goal of the season. That was his first season opening goal. Last night,
0: I wouldn't have guessed that.
1: No, I thought you for would sure that one of those years. Yeah, way more often.
0: Yeah, <laughs> Pittsburgh's an interesting one. I would you have gone the same road that they went down? Because I, I thought it might have been time for a change after all the talk with Malkin and Latang this off season. It sure seemed like heading into free agency that Malkin was definitely going down that road, but they decided to run it back, and it's I thought it was an interesting choice with the way the Eastern Conference looks now.
1: I think, I think they had to run it back, especially when you're talking about somebody like Chris Letang. I think when you looked at the D market and you looked at what was available in terms of UFA right shot defensemen, I don't think you were going to get anybody better at a better price than Chris Letang, so it didn't really make sense not to to bring him back. I mean, he's still a really top top right shot D. I know he's somebody who people talk about has the big mistake in his game, and there's things that Letang does, and you're like, oh god, not again. Um, but he's he's still a very good defenseman, and I thought the goalie market was really light this summer. And if you're the Penguins. You're kind of looking at your window of contention here with the rest of Sidney Crosby's contract. So it's like, well, sure, this is going to age poorly. And and maybe Malkin and Latang can't hold on for more than four years but or five years. But at that point, it probably doesn't really matter. You've got the next, similar to the Calgary Flames, actually, you've got the next kind of three years here for the Penguins to, to try to win again. And I think sticking with that same trio that they've won three championships with already, it just made a ton of sense. Sure, you probably could have gotten another second-line center at a cheaper rate, but I think we're talking about franchise icons here when we're discussing Evgeny Malkin. And and for me, seeing that he was potentially going to leave, I, I just thought I was one of the ones that said, like, what are we doing here? <laughs> you know, what what what's going on in Pittsburgh? Why are you letting Evgeny Malkin walk? So yeah, maybe you could go and try to find somebody else, but they're not going to be Malkin. And, and speaking of Malkin, I thought he had a really good game. he It was a reminder of why the Penguins brought him back and why you keep Evgeny Malkin in the fold, because when he's healthy, he is a force. I mean, his skating looked better than last season, so I think we need to remind ourselves in this what-can-you-do-for-me-now era of hockey and in and sport and, and everything in general is – he was less than a year removed from major knee surgery last season. So sure, Malkin didn't look great, but we knew that that wasn't going to last. Um, and, and he looked really good last night. He scored on the power play. There was a bit of a scare. Uh, Shane Gossesbear with a really dangerous low hit on his surgically repaired knee, which I'm sure a lot of fans didn't love. But I thought Malkin looked good last night. I thought Jeff Petrie looked good as well. that he did what he wanted the Penguins to go out and do. He's physical in front of the net. He takes care of business in that sense. And with the news that Mike Matheson's going to miss some time in Montreal, I think that deal's going to work out pretty well for Pittsburgh. So when we're looking at teams and their off seasons and what they did to get better or continue to stay in a window of contention, I'm totally fine with what the Penguins did. It's, It's early, but Ricard Raquel looked good. Petrie looked good. The big three looked good last night. So pretty happy with the Penguins. You wanted to to get into the Minnesota Wild, though, didn't you? Did you I watch that did. one?
0: I did. watch that, was a tough that one. <laughs> oh, ew, not a great – that's not the kind of performance you were hoping for, I think, if you're Bill Guerin and company after the – I thought it was a big decision to go to Marc-Andre Fleury as your full-time starter in this offseason, Haley, because, look, the guy's got a lot of miles on, on that chassis now, and I, I really did like the, the pairing or the potential tandem of Cam Talbot – and Marc-Andre Fleury, but I can understand why Cam sort of felt slighted by that. I just I wonder if Marc-Andre Fleury can still be the guy for 50, maybe more games and a playoff for a, a playoff contending team. And look, I think you have to give a lot of credit to the opponent. The New York Rangers have looked tremendous to start the season and look like they're poised to do some real damage in the East. But I just thought if you're Minnesota and that's your opening game and your goaltender who you've gone all chips in on for this season lets in seven goals and your defense kind of looks lost at times, I just don't think that's a great omen for the season. Again, night one, and we have to, you know, preface <laughs> that a lot with these games because it was just the first game for the Minnesota Wild. But I, I thought that was a pretty disappointing start for them.
1: I agree. I think. It's and you know Minnesota Wild is kind of what is it hockey North you know there, it's the state of hockey it's 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 really big there and it was not good losing to the Rangers seven to three but I think looking on the other side of that game with the New York Rangers I mean they're two and zero now tough night for Marc Andre Fleury for sure I thought Alexi Lafreniere popped in a good way last night for the New York Rangers he was on the right wing again he's bounced around quite a bit from playing center and junior, and he's a top pick, and he's playing on the left in New York. He's playing on the right side in New York. He's up and down the lineup. Um, with Vitali Kratsov out until at least next week, Lafreniere got another look on the right side in the top six. He had two primary assists in the first period, a couple really good, really good plays, nice passes from from Lafreniere first to Adam Fox and then Artemi Panarin. As we know, the Rangers got off to a really hot start and, and never really let the Wild into it. I thought he looked good out there. I thought Lafreniere, as I said, really popped it in, in a good way. Um, and so I, I do think, though, we're going to be having another season where we're trying to figure out where he is best suited, where Lafreniere fits best in the New York Rangers lineup. Because if you you like the top line the way it is, and you, and you like Lafreniere on the second line, but then if Kratsov comes back, putting him on the third line, gives the Rangers weapons on on all three in their top nine. But I also think you want to give him as much ice time as possible because he's shown in flashes what he can do for the New York Rangers when he is being given consistent shifts in ice time on this roster. So something to to think about because I, I figure this is going to be another constant topic of conversation when it comes to Alexi Lafreniere and the New York Rangers. Where is he going to play and how much is he going to play? What position is he, et cetera?
0: Yeah, funny how we look at the Rangers roster and kind of wonder. They're pretty good now, but what if one of those high picks, especially in this conversation, Lafreniere, pops like a number one overall pick that we expected him to be? How much better is this team going to be for that? I mean... Feels like a long time ago now that they were drafting Capo Caco and they won that draft lottery to to get Alexei Lafreniere and they were sending out that note to season ticket holders. and Hey, be patient. We're we're working on it. Well, they're done working on it now. And if one of those guys pops off for them, I think they're even better and they already look pretty good to start the season.
1: Final game before we head to break and then Sean Gentile is going to be coming up next at around 130, 140, I should say, is Nashville Predators, Dallas Stars played last night. Stars beat the Preds four to one. My big takeaway was just that Mason Marchman goal. Did you see that? I hope everyone watched I t- it. If you did, sure you can did, find yes. it on Twitter. <laughs> it was very nice. It was it was really good individual effort by Mason Marchman.
0: It, Dallas is one of these interesting teams. I I kind of sneaky liked their off season, even though it was pretty quiet i mean they lose klingberg but they go out and get Niels lundquist from ranger or the rangers late in the offseason uh mason Marchment was a guy that i thought the florida panthers would have been pretty wise to keep but they went in a different direction i think that's a sneaky good ad for for dallas and all of this they got the robertson thing figured out and Uh, paid off big time for them with two goals, at least in the first period from Marchman. So yeah, Dallas with a a pretty good showing in their first one and Nashville, you know, I I didn't think that they were bad by any means, but I I thought Dallas was definitely the better team and kind of excited to see what Jason Robertson and company can do uh, after his breakout year last year.
1: Absolutely. And we had a a really good chat with Mike McKenna yesterday. He had the bold prediction of, of the Dallas stars having a really good season. And there is the, the Pete DeBoer effect at play as well. He's a coach who, who typically has a really good start in the first season or two with a new team heading to the Stanley cup final in his first season uh, or heading to the conference final in his first or second season with teams. So look for er, that kind of first year pop from the Dallas stars if history is any indication, when it comes to Pete DeBoer coming in and taking over the bench for a team, all right, good stuff, Logan. Let's let's head to break, and after that, we'll have Sean Gentili, national hockey writer at The Athletic. Coming up next.
0: This is Hockey Central 960 with Haley Salvian on your official home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960, the Fan.
1: Welcome back. Final segment here of Hockey Central and Sports at 960. I'm Haley Salvian. Had a great chat with producer, host, extraordinaire Logan Gordon in the first segment. So there's just so much hockey on, and it's great, and it's so lovely to be able to just dig in to every game, specific games, the Flames, whatever team, for the hour here with you guys on Sports at 960. Shows also available on demand, Hockey Central on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, wherever you get your podcasts, so keep that in mind if you can't catch it live Tuesday to Friday at 1 p.m., but coming up here on the Atlas Pizza Hotline, let's bring him in, it's Sean Gentilly, national writer at The Athletic, Sean, how's it going?
2: Wait a second, is this, this isn't Pat Steinberg, what's going on here? <laughs>
1: This isn't flame stock.
2: <laughs> wait a wait a second. This isn't Pat. Haley, how are we doing? Yeah.
1: Good. Well, I'm all right now. That was not, it's mm. it's not Pat. This is this is Hockey Central. It, Flames talk goes at uh, later in the evening. So you might want to call back if it, if that's what you're looking for. <laughs> uh Pat. Pat hasn't
2: returned my calls for years now. It's fine. <laughs> What'd you do to Pat? That's between him and I. I don't think we need to discuss it.
1: (laughs) For sure. All right. Sean, you were a part of the big project at The Athletic with the season previews. Um, There's been lots of season predictions on The Athletic. I'm sure you've been watching all these games. You're a host, The Athletic Hockey Show. Is there anything that's really stood out to you? And sorry to start so open, but this is what you get when you make fun of me right off the bat. But is there anything that's really stood out to you in the first couple of days of the season? I mean, there was 10 games yesterday, six the day before, two on opening day for the North American games. What's something that comes to mind first for you right now?
2: Oh, man, the Rangers look good. I I have a feeling you talked about them earlier in the show. Mm-hmm. I and mean, that's going to gonna be one of those teams that's just watched pretty intensely, you know, or, or intensely all, all season long. Right. Because of what they did last season. And also because of what a lot of projections ours at the athletic included kind of have happened to them, which is a drop off. They weren't a good five on, weren't a good five on five team last year until they added cop and all those guys at the deadline. And now all those guys are gone. So, it's a reasonable assumption, you know, that or it would be. I think in in some circumstances, Tumasz them dropping off, right? Because again, great as Igor Shesterkin is, expecting him to be, you know, nine forty for another season and for them to kind of subsist on power play goals alone. I mean, it's not, it's not all that feasible. But at the same time, you know, they have a lot of young players. They have a lot, a lot of talent up front. If Lafreniere can make the jump and some of those guys can, you know, turn them into a better five-on-five team. They are going to be terrifying. And I, I think that's kind of what we've seen from them over the, over the first, you know, couple games here.
1: Hmm. So in, in some of the season previews, you had the Flames winning the Stanley Cup, didn't you?
2: I did, yeah.
1: Can you explain?
2: I mean, <laughs> just trying to curry favor with Pat, really. Yeah. Trying to him but a, really
1: uh, really what what is it that the Flames did yeah, this I, off season? What is it that you like about the Calgary Flames right now as a legitimate Stanley Cup contender?
2: It's insane to me and this is obviously not a not a unique thought or, or an original thought, but it's insane to imagine uh them getting better from last season based on based on what happened in, in the summer, especially with how things turned Especially with how things started out, but I think that's what happened. I love the center depth. I love I love the top two pairings. I love the idea of Jonathan Huberdeau getting a full year's worth of uh, of Daryl Sutter hockey, and I love Jacob Markstrom. And also, I just didn't I didn't want to pick any, any of the other teams. Like it's not fun to pick repeats. It's not fun to pick the Maple Leafs. I don't want to pick the Penguins. Like give me give me some new blood. So, yeah, they seem, they seem as, as good a call as any. Because the important thing to remember, we're talking about predictions or whatever, nobody actually knows what they're talking about. But you might yeah. as well have some fun with it and, and, and do some wishful thinking because, you know, it doesn't matter in the end.
1: Right. Well, so you mentioned the the New York Rangers. They're 2-0. and They're playing against the Winnipeg Jets tonight. Another game on the docket is the Carolina Hurricanes and the San Jose Sharks. That's one of the late games tonight. Brent Burns making his return to San Jose pretty early in the season already after, sign, after being traded excuse me, to the Carolina Hurricanes in the offseason. He uh, had a pretty big uh, start for his first game in Carolina six shots on goal, almost a dozen, I think, 12, 13 shot attempts. Like, what, what is a reasonable expectation for Brent Burns at this point in his career?
2: Man, that's a great question. I, I think you can still expect him, especially on that team too, with, you know, some of the guys they have up top, right? You've got, you've got Slavin and, you, and you've got Pesci and you've got, you know, some guys who could eat minutes, which he didn't have, especially the last couple of years in San Jose, it was him and Carlson sometimes and then, like a whole lot of nothing basically. So, if they can, if they can limit his minutes a little bit, maybe not change his role necessarily, but keep his minutes down a little bit, as, as you'd like to see, because he's, you know, an ancient, elderly, thirty-seven-year-old man now. Which, again, <laughs> I say this as a thirty-six. I say this as a thirty-six-year-old. You're not ancient <laughs> until you're until you're thirty-seven. If they can, like, keep his minutes down. This is going to, we could see a prime Brent Burns year. Like, he's a guy who pops on on puck possession teams. Like, look at, look at what he, like, people forget, I think, how good those Sharks teams were because they didn't win a cup. Like, and that's just the nature of the thing, right? If you don't, mm-hmm. if you don't get it done in the final, then you kind of fall by the wayside. That, that going back maybe to the start of the century, like for the last 20, the last 22, 25 years. That, outside of maybe those Canucks teams, those prime Canucks teams with, with, with Kessler and, and the Sedins, that's the best team we've seen that hasn't won a cup. Those guys were phenomenal. And, and you know, they were built in a way that, you know, the current-day Hurricanes kind of are. So I, I see some similarities there. I think Burns is, a, you know, he's a, he's a workout beast. He keeps himself in great shape. Uh, and I, I think he's in a position to kind of do, do something similar to, to what we saw from him in San Jose, you know, six, seven, eight years ago.
1: Going around the NHL on the Atlas Pizza hotline with Sean Gentile, a national writer at The Athletic. One of the other games tonight here, Sean, we've got the Detroit Red Wings and the Montreal Canadiens. The Red Wings have not played yet. The Canadians beat mm-hmm. the Toronto Maple Leafs in their home opener 4-3. to three. The other day, that was a big shock. We talked about uh-huh. that the other day. So we don't need to get into the Habs Leafs game. But the Red Wings are an interesting team. And I'm excited to see what their progression looks like this season. Do they need one more year of marinating? Are they actually gonna be the ones that take the next step? Everyone's been focused on the Ottawa Senators, Ottawa Senators. They got Jerun to it. Look at them. Look at all the signings. It was the summer of Pierre Dorian. Uh, they lose their season opener at the Buffalo Sabres Thursday night. Detroit Red Wings, what do you got?
2: Boy, I'm really excited about them. I I, I think there's a chance that they're like, look, I, could I have picked them to make the playoffs last week? Yes. Did I? <laughs> no. So I don't I don't like them enough to do that. And I still think they're a year away maybe when, when you talk about guys like obviously and Lucas Raymond and maybe Edvin, Ed, Simon Edmondson. These guys getting like a year further into their careers is is, is going to be big. You know, when it comes time for them to take the leap, and I'm not quite sure they're there yet. But man, the Steve Yzerman off season was unbelievable. He clearly has had enough, right? Like he mm-hmm. he'd been in tank mode for five, for five years or, or or however long it's been, and he clearly made a decision. Like, all right, this is this is no longer in our best interest as a as a franchise to, to keep doing this. And he went out and filled needs. I think that's the wild thing, the, you know, maybe not wild, but the impressive thing about Iserman's offseason is, like, he didn't necessarily just go out and, you know, sign whoever would sign. It, it, it was more targeted than that. You know, they, they needed some center depth. They needed someone behind Dylan Larkin so they go out and get Andrew Kopp power play was abysmal last year so they go out and get david perron who's you know still a really productive player a they signed him to i believe two years four and a half million dollars per so that's like a pretty solid deal for now and later if, if they ever want to flip him but as it stands right now he's like still one of the best power play guys in the league like he makes a difference there and, and that is the sort of thing that you know really sunk detroit down the stretch last year and then they go out and get Billy Huso from St. Louis who from, you know, let's say Jan- late January on was one of the five or six best goaltenders in the league. So they have another option there to go with Nadelkovic. And it, and it seems like, it seems like Huso is going to, you know, at least start tonight. I, w- I would, imagine him, you know, he's, he's going to have a chance to run and hide with that job. So they, they had holes and they filled them. And that kind of goes along with all, all the, all the impressive talent they have at the top there. You know, it's, it's Cider and it's Raymond and it's Dylan Larkin who took a step towards being a legitimate high-end one C last year. I'm I'm really excited about them. I I don't think this is the year for them. You know, like I said, give me a year of seasoning. Give me give me maybe one more top ten draft pick. I I, I think they'll be better off. But they're gonna have they're gonna have a chance to compete here. And I I, I think that's about all anybody in Detroit was asking for for the last year or two.
1: You don't think that this is the year for the Red Wings. Is there a dark horse candidate, a dark horse contender to make the playoffs? let us I'm not going to say who's the dark horse to win the Stanley mm-hmm. Cup, but is there a team that you think is going to be pretty sneaky good and end up being a, a playoff contender this season?
2: Oh, my God. My Eastern Conference – Predictions were were brutal. They were so boring. I went I went with the same eight teams uh, for this season as last. But it's going to be interesting to, to to see who comes out of that. you comes out of that Atlantic Division? Because you you mentioned at the bottom of it. I think that's one of the most interesting stories in the league. Is the last two playoff spots in the Eastern Conference. And it's not just because you know you're talking about the Penguins and the Caps and these like sort of you know old reliable squads. And it, <laughs> There's and no age
1: curve in Washington or Pennsylvania. Yeah, no, there is.
2: No, it doesn't. It does. It doesn't exist, obviously, unless you're unless you're Nicholas Backstrom, apparently. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, you know what? I I think I feel like we've picked Buffalo is kind of a trendy pick to kind of. Not make the playoffs, but I I think people saw better things for them for them at, at the start of last season, and they and they, and they kind of came through. So if they can, if they can, uh, maybe figure out something in the net, uh, maybe maybe Lowry gives them gives them something, maybe Rasmus Stalin makes another makes another jump. I think they're I think they could be right there with Detroit and with Ottawa as like those teams that we talk about. May, maybe you know, possibly making a push for that for one of those wild card spots and certainly at least playing relevant hot, you know, deep into the season. Cause that's something we haven't seen from them in a long, long time.
1: We're getting the first Battle of Alberta of the season on Saturday night. Calgary Flames, Edmonton Oilers. They only play a handful of times this season. We we had a really long right. chat about that and the text line was was going off about it on on nine sixty nine sixty said- and how they've got to okay. find a sweet spot. Three games, four games, not enough. Give us five, not ten, not three, like five.:
2: Is that true? Is that true that they're only playing three times? I thought I heard someone say that earlier, like in the last couple weeks. They played three times this season.
1: There's only a couple of, of Battle of Albertas this season That's, that's a
2: joke. I, I'm sorry, like <laughs> it, it happened. I think it's I think it's the Rangers
1: and the Islanders maybe only play three times.: It's like they yeah, t- there's three tomorrow brutal like, october 29th uh-huh. in december 27th so after okay, so there's, like there's, there's no there's battle only... of alberta games in 2023 in, in, until the playoffs
2: yeah i guess I, I guess we're just gonna have to wait for them to meet in the playoffs again right that's that's that's, that's what we got to hope for yeah i mean those those games are those games are a blast you know for me who you know i'm 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 an American. I I grew up in Pittsburgh. I grew up in the 90s also when both those teams were were garbage for the most part. So I I didn't have a sense <laughs> of you know the the mean, the the meaning of that rivalry honestly. The, the 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 level of the the level of the hatred between the fan bases and the locality of it and all that. I didn't really grasp that fully until the spring. So yeah, give me, give me more of that. I think these are, these are two really good teams, A, and I think they're both better than they were last season B in C you have, you know, yeah, it was shorter than maybe Calgary would have liked, but you have that sort of, you know, antipathy that, that you can only get from meeting in the playoffs. And I think that's why, you know, yeah, maybe the current NHL playoff system is, has, uh, has ran its course. And in, in some spots, but this is why they did it is so teams like Washington and Pittsburgh and Calgary and Edmonton can play each and every year. And I, I think in, in this case, we'll we'll be better off for it. I just wish we would have another game or two or three, you know, in the regular season, and maybe one after uh, January first. That'd be nice. It's a shame. Yeah, we can, after we December twenty seventh. That's amazing.
1: <laughs> Give us more rivalry games in the regular season. I don't like the new. I don't like the way that the playoffs have been. I complain about it all the time. I'm saving it for later in the year. This is my rant for for months from now. You know, yeah. we're still talking early stuff. So anyways, thanks, Sean. Is, thanks for I the mean, time. That, we'll bring you on cool. anytime.
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me.
1: <laughs> no problem. There goes Sean Gentilly on the Atlas Pizza Hotline. Conversation brought to you by Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar, 14-time Consumer Choice Award winner, For takeout and delivery, call 403-248-3344 or dine in at Atlas Pizza, 6060 Memorial Drive, Northeast. That's it for me today on this Friday. That's it for me for the week. Hockey Central on Sports.960 will be be back, excuse me. You can tell it's Friday, apparently. We'll be back on Tuesday next week at 1 o'clock. Also available on demand Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks everyone for listening. Haley Salvian, Hockey Central Sports at 960.